My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a girlfriend. But now, I'm a fiancé. Ooh. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. Uh, you can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism or anger about things that we say about the police or no transphobia directed at me or anyone at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. Actually, I would specifically like people to both email us uh, at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or burnnoticedpod at on Twitter, burn notice with a D with just the phrase trans rights. In fact, yeah, trans uh, rights. I just, just send trans rights. No additional message. I mean, if you want to provide more compliments, that's fine. But if yeah. you simply send us trans rights, either to our Twitter or our email, uh, I will send you something cute. Yeah. I like that idea. I will retweet on Twitter. Uh, I will respond on email. Trans rights. Trans rights. So again, as we talked about last week, we are recording this pair of episodes in the middle of a massive amount of police brutality in the wake mm-hmm. of the protests, um, which nationwide you will remember. Protests, nationwide protests. In fact, in between our recording sessions, I have learned that um, a lot more of gassing and police violence has happened in Santa Monica today. Uh, once again, a peaceful protest being taken over by uh, violent cops. I don't love living in this. I'm not going to work tomorrow because I can't, um, because we're not going to be open because of the police violence. So feeling all kinds of ways about that, which is going to inform how we talk about this episode where Michael Weston spends a lot of time on the run from the cops and the FBI. Yep. And again, I will say really quickly that my spiel in the intro is something I said based on just what I thought might happen. It's incredibly possible that all of you guys have been great. And I want you to know that if you guys have been great and like have been supportive of me and like my transition and then have been, you know, supportive of like the victims of police violence, especially black Americans who have been murdered and then thank you. Yeah. But if you haven't, then go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, Listen, we, we, we joke around a lot on this podcast and we're like, you know, fuck you, Reddit, et cetera, et cetera. But like, for real, though, if you don't like our political opinions, that's fine. And we're not going to fight to keep you here because life is too short to play yeah. the both sides nonsense. This is not a exactly. both sides issue. The police need to be defunded. They need to be demilitarized. This country is broken and it has been broken for a very long time. And if you think that the looting of a store is more deplorable than the deaths of thousands of innocent black people, then, like, I don't frankly care about your patronage. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's a lot of resources you can look up if you're curious about this sort of stuff, by the way. Uh, before we recorded today, I watched the uh, Adam Ruins Everything on The Police, which was very informative. Um, there have been a lot of bits on uh, Last Week Tonight. There have been a lot of previous stories where they've done stories on um, police brutality and on the militarization of the police forces in America. Um, there are a lot of great think pieces right now by uh, Black American writers and um, activists. So I implore you to not just take this as like Brie and Chris being, you know, liberal sissies. Like, I encourage you to go look into the resources. Whether or not you are convinced by them is your own personal business, but there is a lot of information out there that is valuable to read, especially if you are white or white passing. Mm-hmm. please educate yourself. That's exactly. all we can ask. And to briefly build on something you said earlier, um, again, if you disagree with us, we don't need your patronage. Um, however, if you agree with us and you want to give us your patronage, let us know and we'll start a Patreon. <laughs> Guys, we want to start a Patreon so bad. I would love to waste more time of my life on this fucking podcast, but you have yeah. to pay us first. <laughs> all right. Um, like we are doing this for free. Do you have any idea? How much work this is for free. I will do more work for you for less free. Do you have any idea how I feel doing it right now in the middle of this? Well, helicopters fly overhead, but we're doing it for you. We're doing it for you. Don't you forget it. Yes. Anyway, it this week is um, season three, episode 16, the finale, the season three finale, Devil You Know which aired on March 4th, 2010. In, uh, as the season finale, of course, it was written and directed by Big Daddy Nix himself. The premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is after Gilroy's plan goes horribly wrong, the FBI is on the lookout for Michael, and they try to use Madeline to get to him. Meanwhile, the man Michael and Gilroy helped escape turns to Michael to arrange a meeting with management. Okay, um, so and- as soon as we get in the weeds... I don't even want to talk about the episode. I want to talk about the like recap that we get because it's like a season finale and they're like, you might have forgotten some things because I have a lot of feelings about it. Then let's get into those weeds. All right. We are the in the weeds. weeds. <laughs> the first All thing right. we see in this fucking recap is about goddamn management. And like, remember, and I genuinely forgot, like I do a podcast about Burn Notice and I forgot that at the end of season two, the whole setup for season three was that without management's protection, Michael will be totally on his own. Oh, see, I remember that. All enemies will come find him. See, here's the reason I didn't remember it. It's because it's fucking never come up. After Michael gets out of prison in this season, I do not feel like there is any more or less on Michael, especially at like, so, okay, I guess Paxson was a thing for like two episodes, but that never had any stakes. Paxson was so boring and never came back. So like outside of like the first couple of episodes of this season, I don't feel like Michael Weston's life has been any more or less impacted by the like, ethereal protection of management do you no. like i feel like the same number of bad so. guys i remember through. at the time i will say i remember at the time the first watch through of this being very disappointed the wasting of this premise yeah because it's like a really it's theoretically a really interesting premise where instead of a season where michael is like just helping people and occasionally like there would be a bad guy that would come into town like michael trying to do his regular like quote-unquote day job of helping people while continuously enemies from his past barrage him and I feel like that didn't happen. 
That could have no. been such an interesting thing where he's like fighting enemies from all sides as people are like converging on Miami because they've just been waiting for him. And like the police are sniffing at his door and not just like there aren't just dissuaded by Michael setting up one bad guy and then like winking and waving like that would have been so cool and tense and action packed and complicated. And it would have like given Madeline even more. Do. Like the thing yeah. about this season is that because it's a show, and we talked about this a bit last week, that cannot commit itself enough to its plot arcs. This season felt really aimless the whole time. Yes. It was moving from antagonist to antagonist, and none of it feels like forward momentum. It just feels like shuffling things around. And I, again, mm-hmm. we're talking about the season as a whole, but it makes sense in this finale because, again... Now, like, the big bad of the finale is a guy that is only in this episode and is, like, mentioned, yes. kind of. And what the... It, like, honest... Also, he's, like, an identical character to Victor. Like, this Simon guy that he is... That got escaped is also someone who, like, has worked with management before and whose yeah. thesis of the episode seems to be, Michael, you're basically me. You're gonna become me. And that's the exact conversation he and Victor had. And it was oh, random then, too. Because Victor also came out of nowhere. We at least knew Victor was a thing before. So, like, it sort of made sense. But this dude... Who the fuck cares about this dude? Uh, unless they had given something because like the the reveal of this guy like spoiler i guess i don't know like the reveal of simon is that remember all the bad shit that everyone's been blaming michael for yeah. with his burn notice it actually wasn't just fabricated it was misappropriated simon yeah. is the guy who the dossier belongs to that's super fucking interesting that is a really interesting plot that it's because like we've just sort of been treating for three seasons Michael Weston's dossier to just be like a bunch of lies. But the, the fact that they stole it from one single guy and he's like in a black back ops and prison somewhere. Because I think that would have been a really interesting thing to explore. Was that that was kind of lazy. But I kind of warmed up to that idea and it kind of made a little bit more sense in a management killing two birds with one stone kind of way. But like it felt kind of lazy to me in that the idea that there was a bad guy and that they just transferred all of this history. Because, like, as opposed to building up a case of, like, a lot of different things into, like, an almost superhuman person. Like... So, no, so no, I hear you. And, and here's my thing. is So that, if that had been the choice and Michael, like, learned more about the various individual things he was accused of and, like, that became a thing, that's really interesting. Or if it had just been like a misappropriation and it is has been the Simon guy the whole time, that's fine too. But you can't explore it in a single season finale no, episode. That cannot. is a that is a season long exploration. And the fact that they packed it all in to one fucking episode and gave, and attributed it all to this one guy who we learn fuck all about, and then he just Nothing. like gets arrested again. What is the fucking point of that? What a waste of my goddamn time. Yeah. Well, here let's get into some, some specifics. And we will talk about it more as we go through in the weeds. So yes, after the recap, we open with Michael calling Sam in the immediate aftermath of the Gilroy explosion. And he tells Sam that the prisoner, Simon, as we've discussed, is free, which Sam is peeved about because Sam is so angry about all of this. Because the whole time Sam was like, this is a bad idea. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do any of this. And then Michael has to call him being like, Simon escaped. Like, that's the opposite of what we wanted. (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck? 
The whole we reason were that, we, that we, yeah, we were like, we, this has gone on way too long. Every episode that Gilroy has been in, Sam has been like, fuck this guy. Let's just kill him. And Michael's like, no, 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 there's gotta be, he's just the tip of the iceberg. And it turns out he's not, he's the bottom of the iceberg. He's nothing. Kill Gilroy. Yeah. Fuck it. He's just some guy. Anyway. Uh, then uh, Sam tells him to run because the cops and everyone else are after him. So we get a scene of Michael running from, shooting at, and choking out uh, police officers. Which, boy, does it hit different today. Sure does. Something else that's like, and, and I mentioned this at the very end of last week's episode, is that Michael West is like the least fucking subtle accomplice ever. He's standing in all black, obviously in like military clothing, blows up a bridge in front of a bunch of police, runs away, and then as soon as he runs away from a second explosion, the one that kills Gilroy, he's running away on the street. He's, like, literally on the road. He's not in... There's trees everywhere. He could hide. He could get out of the way. But no, he's just, like, running on the pavement as police cars follow him, and it's like, Michael, my friend, (laughs) there's not a single subtler way that you could have handled this? No, there's not. But no, yeah, Michael chokes out a police officer, and then he he, he also gets shot He steals a boat. He gets shot at and he also steals a boat. He gets shot at by a really generic looking guy that I was like, I'm not going to have to remember who that guy is. And so I didn't. And it turns out later he was a character the whole time. And I legitimately (laughs) was surprised because he's so generic. We'll get to him. I hate him. We'll get to him. Uh, Anyway, so the next morning, Michael steals a phone and some new clothes. How do you feel about these clothes, Bree? I like them. Because I feel like a gingham pattern, it looks good on Michael Weston. And I like him when he's wearing like a collared shirt with his sleeves rolled up and he's got a little scruff. It's a good look. It's a good look. And the fact that he has to wear someone else's clothes or an alias's clothes to look good says a lot. It really does. I desperately, Uh, if anyone, let's change the intro. I don't care about Jeffrey Donovan anymore. I want to talk to the wardrobe people on this show. I have to know. Oh my God. If you or anyone uh, you know through, knows the wardrobe people on Burn Notice. We need to go through the entire like writing, acting, and production staff of Burn Notice and alienate them one by one. <laughs> well, we got four more seasons, so let's let's kick it off. All right. But he calls Sam again with his stolen phone. Michael's place, it turns out, is under hella surveillance. And escaped madman is on the loose. So they decide to meet at the emergency emergency spot and not just the emergency spot (laughs) meanwhile at the house madeline is packing a suitcase with a shotgun and cigarettes when there's a knock on the door and it's the fbi and it's specifically the guy who shot at michael in the previous scene or like two scenes ago and i did not register that at all yeah i didn't either i didn't not until he like mentions it to he mentions it later. later And it's like, oh, you're that guy. Oh, that didn't occur to me. You have such a generic face. They quickly figure out that she knows what's up and demand that she call Michael instead of a meeting with them. Um, Yeah, there's this guy. He has a name. I don't care. He doesn't deserve a name. He's terrible and I hate him. Uh, (laughs) Meanwhile, at the the emergency emergency spot, uh, the crew loads up on guns and ammo, but sadly no beer or yogurt because... There couldn't be a fridge in the emergency emergency spot. Yeah, speaking of which, it's been uh, the last four episodes, the last, yeah, the last four episodes of the season, there has nary a yogurt to be seen. There is no yogurt. yogurt It is a no-gurt end of to a season. Which, if I remember correctly, 
had started with a lot of yogurt. Yeah, it, it, I mean, we, we're still, despite the last four episodes of the season not having yogurts featured in them, there are still technically 0.5 more yogurts in this season than last season. Maybe they decided that they went too heavy on the yogurt in the beginning. Well, the, the the way that we got to this number is that we're counting the five yogurts from episode six where he gets a basket of yogurt sent to him by uh, Strickler. Oh, okay. But that I, is, I mean, they do, that. they they try all of them. Like they, him and Fee like that's do true. a little tasting. But, uh, but that that's what's really waiting this season. Got I just, it. you mentioned the yogurt. I had to bring up the yogurt stats, but uh, we'll get to the full stats at the end of this episode. Don't you worry. Of course, when we do final season stats. Season, season stats. Uh, so Michael gets a call from Madeline and she tells him to come home right now, which Michael tells the gang is a signal to stay away. Left over from the dad was an abusive alcoholic and sometimes it wasn't safe to go home and live in the house days. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam is worried about Madeline and like, the amount of pressure she's going to be under, but he's like, nah, she's fine. She can handle it. Which I think sums up both of their relationships to Madeline. Yeah, I I would say that's true. I also like that. I like that Fee's just like, she's fucking got it. What are you talking about? This yeah. is it. She's absolutely got this. It's like, she's an equal. Madeline is fully an equal. I, I expect, like, it's, this season has been a great Madeline season, but I also think that especially since the Nate episode where he got married, whichever one that was, yeah. uh, that, like, I feel like the entire crew has been like, Madeline is on the crew. Like, when Madeline makes the statement, like, my home is not just anywhere. My home is here in Miami with you and Sam and Fee. Like, the show fully buys in. I think that that's, that really is like a turning point where it's like, no, I'm not just in this. I'm in this. And I like that. Yeah, I do too. I enjoy that a lot. I also really just, well. just so you know, I have found the costume designer for burn notice. Of course you have and like gonna, on IMDb or like on Twitter. Well, I found his website. Oh, um, and, and I know his agent's email address. Oh no. We can, so I can't I'm go gonna, through this again, Bree. There's too I mean, many other things like, happening in the world right now. I feel like he's going to be chiller. Oh, famous last words. Uh, anyway, so Sam tells Michael uh, that he and Fee hated that whole Gilroy thing from the beginning. And they're right. And yeah, it's very Michael's much wrong. a told you so scene. <laughs> yeah. So, and that going forward, like things are going to be a little more democratic. And Michael needs to get on board. And so Michael apologizes they do this weird little bit where he says i'm sorry and then fee goes was that an apology which yeah it is and then he kind of (laughs) shakes his head but then nods it it's like it's such a weird little bit i don't even know what to make of it must have missed this entirely how did i miss this i watched this this morning like yeah no like go back it's like it's kind of subtle but like michael yeah michael apologizes she's like is that an apology and he just like kind of shakes his head no, but then shakes his head yes. It's so it's a dumb little thing, and I like it. And then Sam kind of takes charge for a second, and then and says, "This is what we're gonna do now." And he gives everyone butterfly knives, like a good Navy SEAL. And Michael says that Gilroy probably didn't make that bomb that killed him, so Simon uh, probably has an explosives guy in town that Fee can track down. I don't know how they don't know that Simon isn't himself an explosives guy. Well, he he was literally 
Yeah, but he was also literally just in prison. I don't think he would have been able... That's true. Like, he was just broken out of prison. He would not have had time to exactly. build a bomb. To build a bomb. But yeah, so he definitely and has also, I, in the last season, Yeah, and also in last season, or last episode, um, Gilroy specifically says, he's like, apparently he has more friends in Miami yeah. than just me. So killing me is nothing to him. Exactly. So they can... But that's someone that Fee can track down. And then Michael is going to go get the rest of his Gilroy stuff from the Charger. So Michael's on his way to the Charger. And he's walking down the street and he sees a food cart catch on fire. A lot of fire imagery mm-hmm. here. Um, I mean, that, that's again, kind of a thing of season premieres and finales of Burn Notice. Like, remember the season two premiere? Yeah. And it's like he, he, he walks out of the semi-truck and there's just like an exploded plane. I'm just saying fires on the street hit me differently right now. Also fair. Uh, but he, And he realizes that that is not an accidental fire. Even though in restaurants and thus food carts, grease fires are common. And so he looks to his left and he sees a TV store. And the t- all the TVs in the store have like his image on them. Some of them are like still photos, but like some of them are like live cameras on his face. And so he's like, oh, I got to go in here. And then so he goes in. And all the TVs in the store are showing like videos of like fires and explosions and stuff in various parts of the world, like as well as there being a dead TV store employee on the floor. And then out comes Simon. So when Simon comes out, he gets a lower third that just says Simon question mark. There's one thing that I definitely know about Simon and that it's he's played by Garrett Dillahunt, which does help a lot for this episode for me. He has more charisma than most antagonists on Burn Notice, and it is a fucking shame that they waste him in this episode. He could have been a season, like, at least a half-season-long thing. Anyway, but yeah, Simon explains, as we have discussed, that he was the guy that did all the stuff that's in Michael Weston's file. And he used to work for management, but he was too unpredictable or whatever, so he got, like, boxed, basically. And then all the stuff that he did got put into Michael's file. And... The thing is, I cannot tell what bugs him more. I can't tell if he wants his freedom and he wants revenge on management, like, or if, like, he is mad that people don't know that he's a bad enough bad guy. And, like, yeah, or exactly what's going on. But, like, either way, whatever his motivation, which is vague, although I think there's a slight reason for that, that his motivation being vague, he needs to talk to management. And he knows that if Michael calls management, Management will come running. Yeah, okay. So this is the point in time where we have to reflect on how we got here. So the season, like, now that we've gotten some details in it, let's let's talk through the timeline of this. So Michael Weston starts burn notice by being burned. We eventually learn that he was burned erroneously by a group of people called management. Well, he was not burned erroneously. Well, erroneously he, to in the eyes of the CIA. Like, Michael Weston yeah. himself did not do these things. I'm just saying, Michael Weston didn't deserve it. Somebody set him up. Yes. So, erroneously might be the wrong word. I just like using the word erroneously. But Michael Weston was yeah. burned using falsehoods put together by a shadowy cabal called management. We don't meet that. them until the end of season two. We do exactly. meet one of their lieutenants, uh, whose name is Carla, at the end of season one. We are with her for most of season two. She has Michael Weston do some, like, stealing of ID cards and of a gun 
mostly just sends him on fetch quests, essentially, like side mm-hmm. quests in a video game, then nothing comes of that because it gets messed up by another person who management is working with. Carla gets killed, and Michael discovers that one of the guys that he was working with was a similarly positioned former spy whose family had been killed and whose life had been burned to the ground by management. And now he's out for revenge. That guy dies. And then Michael Weston finally gets a face-to-face with management and says, fuck you, get out of my life. I just want my life back. And they're like, fine. So they let him loose. So season three begins with Michael totally free and like, you know, more robust than ever at trying to get back into the CIA. Cause finally the, the shadowy cabal that like got him out of the CIA has stopped messing with him. So he's like, great. Finally, it's my redemption arc season. I'm going to get back into the CIA. Then for a little while, he is uh, harassed by the police who have finally put it together that this crazy guy like appeared in Miami and all of a sudden like all hell has broken loose. Then that gets resolved basically immediately. We then meet, Strickler, who's just like a guy, a I guy. guess, who I guess maybe knows about Michael because management stopped protecting him. Cause like he clearly is like, but like this guy could also have been there if management was there. Like management does not preclude Strickler from existing. Then that guy dies. I mean, then it's we maybe need... possible that like management was like, that guy's ours, hands off. Maybe, but like management being there or not has basically no bearing no. on this plot line. Uh, no. As we have come to understand the way that Bernardus works. We also meet a cool guy named Diego, who is a CIA agent based in uh, Miami. He's kind of a field, like a kind of an office guy, home office guy. So like he doesn't really do a lot of big stuff, but like he's got an in. Michael befriends, maybe is a strong word, but uh, associates himself with Diego so that Diego can help him get back into the CIA for goodsies. The flirtation with Strickler doesn't really go anywhere, but then Diego is murdered. And so Michael is definitely on the outs with the CIA because not only did the Strickler thing not go anywhere, but his legit contact at the CIA was straight up murdered. And then we find out that he was murdered by a guy named Gilroy, who is a like psycho for hire as they repeatedly remind us. And so Michael starts to like convinces Gilroy that he is on the level. So Gilroy will let him in on the other stuff he's up to in Miami while he's here killing CIA agents. And after a couple of episodes, Gilroy agrees, yes, you are exactly bloodthirsty enough. You can help me. And what I need help with is breaking somebody out of prison, a really dangerous person out of prison. But then we learn in last episode that Gilroy was not hiring Michael himself. He was hired by the black ops guy or the guy who's been in a like black ops dungeon prison for years. And he specifically told Gilroy to recruit Michael Weston. So does that mean that (laughs) Garrett Dillahunt, AKA Simon question mark was, has been in a like black ops prison for presumably years somehow made contact with Gilroy, learned that Michael Weston was trying to get back into the CIA with the help of Diego, also must have known about Strickler because like the whole thing was that Strickler knows dangerous friends. Cause like originally it sounded like somebody who was friends with Strickler found out that Michael Weston was sniffing around and like that's why Diego died, but then it was we learned that it's Gilroy, and now we learn that Gilroy was specifically hired by Simon. So how did Simon know about Diego? Why does Simon care about Diego and or Strickler? How did Simon get in contact with Gilroy if he's been in a black ops prison? What the fuck? 
This timeline doesn't make any sense, Chris. Okay. First off, you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, the season makes no sense. And the it so makes no sense. Feels like the entire time they're putting down the train tracks three feet ahead of them. Yeah, and then like the leading ones from before. It like all. by the end, it's not even a train track; it's a sidewalk. Exactly. <laughs> like <that's... It's, laughs> it makes no sense. The way that I read it or rationalize it to give them the biggest benefit of the doubt is that all that Simon said to Gilroy was to break. I want you to break me out of prison, and you need Michael Weston to do it. And like everything else was Gilroy. Gilroy so was Gil- the one who found out about. Strickler. Gilroy is the one who, who knew about Diego. And, like, that was, like, all Gilroy trying to manipulate Michael into a place where Michael was, like, trying to get in touch with him and then, like, get Michael into the fold. So Gilroy killed Diego to get Michael Weston's attention? Yes. I'm not saying that that is what the show intended. How because did I don't think the Simon show intended anything. get in touch with Gilroy if he's been in a flag okay, off for Okay, here's the thing. And this kind of leads into my thing about Simon, which is... So let me to get back into the plot really quick. So Simon wants to talk to management, destroy his reputation, and he wants to fix it. And he tells Michael that if Michael doesn't do this, he's rigged a hotel to explode he has placed a lot of like a big kind of oil can bomb in a hotel somewhere in miami at which point i theorize that what matt nix is doing and what the show is trying to do is just make simon heath ledger's joker because that is like the exact thing that he the joker does in the dark knight except it's a hospital but otherwise it's the same and like the whole introduction of him is like setting the thing on fire and then like Michael's like looking at himself in the fucking like images and he walks in and like everything's sort of playing and like Simon's like chaotic and like but he seems to have like planned all of this stuff like all of that makes sense not makes sense like logically but like if they wanted him to be the Joker remember this is like early 2010 like the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker was hot. Everyone wanted that character. Everyone wanted to do their own version of that character. And I think that they decided that that is what they needed on Burn Notice. And so, Simon, that is my theory. So you think that as Heath Ledger's Joker rose to prominence, that they reskinned the plot to make it seem more like he has been in charge from the beginning? Kind of. Or I think more like they did not plan out the entire season in advance. They were kind of just flying by the seat of their pants and they realized that they needed something big for the finale and then thought, what if we just kind of do a Joker character? I think, it feels like they I are think, always surprised by the finales. Like we get are. to the end of a season and they're like, oh, oh God, uh, here's eight yeah. new bad guys. <laughs> exactly. No, I think they just had like... The Joker on a whiteboard with a question mark next to it. Um, and worked not even backwards. They just like fell backwards to that. And they're like, all right, yeah, I guess this is the I concept. That's it. By the way, if this was psych, and I don't know, I haven't checked the later episodes that Simon's on. So maybe they do. But I will be really disappointed if none of these episodes is called Simon Says. 
Uh, they none of them are. I, what the he's fuck? Only, he's in two other episodes, and neither of them are called Simon Says. Why aren't they? This episode should have been called Simon Says. It's right there. If this was Psych, it would have been called Simon Says. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm also sure that there is a Psych t- t- called uh, Simon Says. That feels like something. That... I am almost sure that there is, too. The other um, two episodes Simon is in are Hard Times and Tipping Point. This is also another thing. Uh, Burn Notice titles are bad. Yeah, they're really bad. Last week's I actually kind of liked because it sort of did feel thematically related in a yeah. way that was the most interesting that I've seen in a while. But yes, you're right. Burn Notice episode titles are, they also feel like they're surprised by those. Like it feels like Burn Notice, there's a lot of things that they really care about and we know what they care about because we've been tracking it pretty specifically. And then everything else they like r- like forget about until the last minute. Right. Anyway, so at this point, Simon does the thing that is already cliche on Burn Notice that was like a funny subversion once, but also literally Victor did it last season finale. Victor, the exact same character. Exactly. Um, I will say with Victor, they never tried to make Victor seem like all knowing. Like, again, I think that's what they're trying to bring to the table with Simon. Like Simon is somewhere between like, the Joker and Hannibal Lecter. And so, like, he's supposed His to be His last this, name like, is Escher. It's, oh my God. Yep. I was waiting yeah. for a moment to bring that up. But yeah, his name is Simon Escher. Of course it is. Like, that's who they think he, like, whereas Victor was kind of a wild card, but like, Simon is like the Joker. So, yeah, but they do the thing that they, they've done a few times now where the bad guy is like, it sounds like I'm one of your helpless like people that you like help in their hour of need. And then Simon gets another lower third and it's not Simon question mark anymore. It's Simon the client. Yep. It's like, it's not even like, it was kind of funny the first time they did it. It's not fun anymore. It's just like, who gives a shit? Yeah, no, it's It's, like this, this season finale is like nearly identical in so many ways to last season finale. It really is. Oh, but it's like down to like prominently featuring Fraser's dad. Who we'll get to. <laughs> anyway, back at Madeline's, dumb FBI guys have finally realized that maybe Michael isn't coming. <laughs> like, the FBI guy is like, wait a minute, you sent a signal. Which is both obvious and not at all obvious. Like, <laughs> right. on one hand, like, obviously she's not going to make him come home. A. But if he doesn't... Also, if she did make him come home, there's absolutely no reason why he should listen to her. So it is, like, simultaneously so obvious that, like, she doesn't want him to come home and wouldn't actually make him try to come home. But also seems incredibly unlikely that she definitely sent a signal. But he's, like, you sent him a signal. Because I actually think it was a pretty good signal. But yeah, no, it's it's great. And and, and this tracks. is another one of those things about Madeline and Michael that like feels genuinely grounded versus the like, we used to be abused, shaking fist plot line that we were used to in seasons one and two. Exactly. I think like this season has gotten a lot better about their like depiction of these two characters' yeah. exploration and I actually, of their troubled like, past. I think that like what Madeline does in this episode, like they talk about it. And like, I don't know, I think it's used in an interesting way. Um, I agree. Uh, and we'll get to that as it happens. But like, FBI guys show Madeline pictures of things that he thinks Michael did, but we now know are Simon's handiwork. 
as a way to mm-hmm. shame her into revealing where she was going to meet him. But sh- and she puts on a sad face that is not supposed to be genuine. I don't know. It's very unclear how much Madeline buys, like, the FBI guy's insistence that Michael is actually bad. Because, like, she never quite believes it, but also, like, sometimes seems like she's supposed to be sort of, like, cracking a little bit, but it never quite does. And also, fuck this guy. He is awful and not convincing at all. Right, yeah. Anyway, but this, she gives this him a absolute fake location. nothing, man. Not even in a Michael Weston kind of way. Right. Anyway, so. Yeah, I've really yeah. come around to Michael Weston. Like, honestly, doing this podcast has made me appreciate Jeffrey Donovan and Michael Weston in, like, a whole new way. Um, that's what we're here for. Yeah, in some ways, this podcast has made me like Bird Notice less, but in some ways, it's made me appreciate parts of it even more. And Apparently, I like I'm more willing to argue for episodes being great than I was. <laughs> So I really hey. I think that we're brainwashing ourselves doing this podcast, and you know what? Oh, I'm all right with that. <laughs> anyway, I skipped a scene. Michael tells Simon that he needs to get back to his loft to get info about management, but he needs to know more about the surveillance on the loft because he knows there's surveillance on it. And so he sees a van, and he tells Simon that it's a surveillance van. And he's seen it go around go the talk- block a couple of times. Yeah, exactly. He- Gives him, like, an excuse, like, I saw that. That's FBI guys, definitely. I'm going to go talk to the FBI guys. But actually, it's just a regular old liquor delivery van. And so Michael goes up and just threatens the driver, who's this, like, kid, basically. Like, steals the driver's phone and then just tells him to run. And, like, thankfully, the van is such a place that, like, Simon can't see the guy run. Um, So then he calls Sam to find out the best way to get into the loft. Um, which is probably swimming through the river and then, like, climbing in. That's what Sam says. Um, Sam, he also tells Sam about there's a, about the bomb that uh, Simon has planted somewhere and that they need to get, like, info on the explosives guy now. And then Sam says, it's okay because Fee is already on it. And then in the background of the shot, we see, like, Fee just intimidating the shit out of this biker guy. Oh, I this is oh good. Yeah. This is I was I was waiting for this scene because I love that. I love any like I'm a big fan of sort of background Easter eggs yes. <laughs> where people are doing something silly in the background. Like we we've done this a lot in our filmmaking, but I always appreciate it because it's just like a level of detail that adds layers to a scene, like visually as well as just plot wise, and I love it. And of course, anytime yeah. that Fee gets rough with someone, I love it even more. Exactly. Like, they kind of rack focus to it for, rack focus to her for, like, a bit, just so we can see it happening. But, like, it keeps happening, even when they, like, rack back to Mike, to Sam. And, like, you can just see her, like, yelling at this guy. It's really good. It's very fun. Uh, Which, and then we have the Madeline scene. And anyway, that leads Fee and Sam um, to Keith. And Keith is the guy who made the hotel bomb. Uh, He is armed to the teeth. Uh, Fee knows and so they just drive a car into his house in order to have the element of surprise um, they catch him sufficiently off guard and like pull guns on him before like he can pull a gun on them and uh, they tie him up and Fee gets to be badass as hell um, like Fee is great in this scene she's like I am the big shit in this town like the people that you work for work for me like I can have them like 
drag you behind their fucking motorcycles until you die or whatever. So tell me what I need to know. It's really good. So uh, Keith tells them that he made the bomb and that it's at the Epic Hotel because it's the season finale and everything must be epic. And it has a timer and a remote control. And they ask him, why are you, why would you do that? That's going to hurt people. Which I think that's not normally a question you'd have to ask like someone who like makes bombs for criminals. But they have to ask yeah. that. So they have to ask that so that he can say, well, I didn't have a choice. Like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> uh, I'm a um, bad guy. But th- I, there's a worse bad guy who made me do it. But then also, like, how soon... This is another time in which your, like, time frame concerns really crop up. Because when Mm -hmm. did this happen? When did Simon talk to this guy? Because shit's been happening in real time. Yep. It sure has. I guess Uh, in between when... Well, yeah. See, here's the thing. So, yeah. So, this did he also make the bomb on uh, Gilroy? Do we establish that? um, Yeah, no. He would have done. Well, that's why they went to him. Like, because they assumed that it he was made the Gilroy bomb. bomb. Like, so I guess like he made the Gilroy bomb and he and made the that. hotel it's, bomb. It's possible that like this guy goes way back with Simon. That's right. That could make it make sense. Um, but yeah, it's not established. It's just it a sort of convenient. Yeah. Now that you've described him as the Joker, a lot of this makes more sense in that it doesn't make sense. But I understand why it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing that 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 is the thing that they are going for. He's a mastermind. But then you're like, how did he? What's show me the behind the scenes? I don't trust you. And they're like, mastermind, yeah. and then they run away. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually someone who's kind of defensive of mastermind in the Dark Knight itself, but like here, no. I yeah, I I haven't seen that movie in a long enough time to have an opinion one or one yeah. way or the other. But like, um. Anyway, so. They find out that it's at the Epic Hotel and that Simon is crazy. Meanwhile, Simon gives Michael 10 minutes to sneak into his loft and get any info that he needs uh, to contact management. And so Michael has to swim through a canal, climb up the side of the building, and then go in through the roof. We don't actually see this because they don't have, like, the time or money to do this stunt. But (laughs) rest assured, he does that. Um, In the process, like, he makes a noise on the roof and, like, the cops outside are like, I heard something on the roof. Um, so yeah, does not have a lot of time inside the loft. He calls Frazier's dad and lets him know what's up. And uh, he tells Frazier's dad, like his best bet is to come to the government building. Like Simon wants him to, wants him to Simon keeps saying, you need to take him to this government building at this address. No one ever says what kind of government building it is. They always just say government building, which is weird. But yeah, so Michael says that the best bet is to go where Simon wants him to go and have a team waiting to capture him. Um, Frazier's dad agrees, but says if things go south, it'll be bad for Michael. And then the phone conversation ends with Frazier's dad, and he gets like a lower third that says management. Even though we know he's management, because well, we've but seen... we might have forgotten because it's been a fucking season since this clown no, no. has been on screen. Here's the thing. We know he's management because, A, we've seen the show. B, there was a fucking, like, opening 
previously on that says he's management. Also, Michael begins the conversation, like the phone call by talking to an operator and saying, I need to speak to management. And he gets the phone number from a little card that signed management. We get that this man is management. It seems really weird to have, and also like it, it happens like at the end of the phone call, like a button, like a period on the sentence, like, He's management. Like, we know. <laughs> like. Yeah, sometimes, like, th- we've, they've gotten better about lower thirds being, like, redundant and unnecessary and have made them more of, like, they're in on the joke. But every once in a while, they still slip into some nonsense lower third bullshit where it's like, why is this here? That's probably, like, I wonder if it was, like, a network note where the network is like, people might not know that this isn't Fraser's dad. You have to let them know it's not Fraser's dad. Yeah, no, I actually have a note in my notes that, like, um, I can only guess that they did this so the people in the audience would stop going, hey, isn't that Frazier's dad? <laughs> um, oh, also the whole time Michael is making a bomb and he throws the bomb out the window to distract the cops as he escapes. Of course. Uh, King of multitasking. Yes. I am envious. Uh, so Michael and Simon get in a car to escape the FBI and Michael tries to give Simon directions on how to evade, like, the cops and the FBI. and But Simon is not listening because Simon's driving. Instead, uh, Simon just, like, drives crazily and then causes a truck to, like, tip over and creates, like, a multi-car pileup. Which, now that I think about it, like, the Joker also causes a big, like, tractor-trailer truck to tip over. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. Uh, um, after this happens, Michael, like, draws a gun on Simon as he drives. And tells him that he'll just kill him if he pulls something like that again. If he, like, like causes more injuries or deaths, he will kill him. But Simon tells him that if that happens, well, then that hotel is definitely going to blow up. And Michael's like, oh, you're right. Back at Madeline's, the FBI guy uh, gets word about the car crash and is pissed. And he uh, tells Madeline that uh, there's nothing at that mall that she sent them to. And he wants her to stop, like, aiding and abetting a felon. And then another FBI guy comes in with, like, bomb making materials and like a like shotgun rounds that he found in the garage then madeline's like those are mine (laughs) and then fbi guy's like that's a felony if they're yours you will go to jail if they're yours um and he's like i'm trying to help you because like i want to bring in michael alive but all those guys on the street they're mad and if they catch michael They're going to shoot first and ask questions later, which fucking Christ hits differently today. Uh, Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have nothing to say except, yep. Oh. Fuck the police. Sam and Fee find the bomb and freeze the detonator with liquid nitrogen. However, as they remove it, as they remove it, they hear a beep. And so they throw it behind like a huge rack of like water jugs in case it explodes, and so they hide. But then nothing happens, and they're like, oh, well, it's fine. But then there is a boom, and they're like, oh, fuck. And they gotta get out of there. And, like, it's all kind of, like, pointless, but it's, like, fun. So <laughs> the important thing is, like, the bomb is gone. It feels like the bomb got, was gotten rid of, like, so quickly that it felt it like was. it was barely a thing. And then, like, they still have to work with Garrett Dillahunt. And it's like, I wish that had been a specter for longer. Because otherwise, like, yeah. I don't really care about this management dispute. Like, let him take them. They seem bad. Here's the thing. Here's what <laughs> I thought was going to happen. I thought 
that the bomb was not at the hotel, any hotel. I thought that the bomb was at the government building. And that they were going to be running around looking at hotels. Um, and it was actually that, where Madeline was being held? Or I don't even know if that was where, that too. Or just like at the, the point being that like the bomb was supposed to kill management. That's what I thought it was going to be. Instead, it's a different ah. twist, which is kind of dumber. But we'll get there. But like that's yeah. what I thought it was going. I was surprised when the bomb was taken out so soon. Because I was like, yeah, the same thing. Like, now there's nothing. Anyway, so after all this happens, Simon drops Michael off on the side of the road. And he's like, I got it from here. Uh, All you got to do is meet me at the government building at 6 o'clock with management. And that's it. I'm done with you. And Michael's like, Michael does not want to leave Simon alone. Because he knows that if Simon's alone, Simon's going to get up to some shit. But Simon also knows this. And so he makes Michael leave. I don't, it's unclear exactly how uh, and why Michael like just leaves. But what's more, he makes Michael leave and he drives off. But before he does, he gives Michael like a cell phone. And it's like, here, call your friends. And then Michael does on the cell phone that the crazy man gave him. That's definitely bugged for sure. Yeah, it's definitely bugged for sure. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, this like, whole obviously. thing is just so poorly con- The problem is, like, we don't know who this fucking guy is. He's just, like, a kind of crazy guy who is just, like, there yeah. now. That, like, Bernardes is so bad at introducing us to people and making us, like, believe them when they say stuff about them. Because, like, it just happened. Like, don't, there's no buildup. The only time they build up things is when they, like, hold off on all the interesting information until the very end. <laughs> like, the couple of times they try to do buildup with Carla and Victor and all these people is, like, the only interesting thing that happens is at the end. And so, for this guy, who's had zero buildup, all of this yeah. stuff is happening. And it's like, I don't care or know what to do with this information. But what's more, Michael calls them on the phone. Mm-hmm. And they say that the bomb is... Disarmed on the phone, which, again, might be a thing that they don't want, like, Simon to know. But what's more, like, you're right that the bomb thing is so, like, it's so weird that they have taken out the bomb early that Sam and Fia to be like, okay, we took out the bomb. We're in the clear. And then Michael has to be like, no, we're definitely not in the clear. And then give no explanation of why they're not in the clear. Well, I assume that they, like, cut away. Like, that's just, like, a end-of-a-scene stinger, and then he, like, explains it. Because, like, there's also, in the last episode, Sam's like, Michael, go get my um, <laughs> my forgery tools and get to Fee's place. I'll buy you some time. And he doesn't explain exactly what Michael well, needs to forge. No, but, like, the thing is that it's unclear. Like, obviously, it's bad if Simon's running around and doing stuff. There's this weird thing where, like, they couldn't kill Simon. Because of the bomb. And so once they find out that, like, he's in the, like, that they're in the clear and the bomb is taken care of, like, maybe they should just kill him. Well, but ever since the pilot, Michael Weston doesn't really kill people. He, like, tries to, and then yeah, he's too good Yeah, but here's the thing, person. though. Later in the episode, Michael agrees that they need to kill this guy. And so, like, he clearly but thinks then he, that But then, this, he, then he pussies out again. Like, Michael wasn't never going to bloody kill we'll, anyone We'll anymore. talk about that. But what I'm saying is that, like, at this point, like, he gets nothing from going through with Simon's plan. 
Like, yeah, literally, that's true. Get, like, like Simon literally holds nothing else over him at this point. It was no, only like, the bomb. Like, if Michael had called, like, and what's more, we know that because we already saw the bomb get defused. So, like, if Michael had called in the car and found out that the bomb was defused, he could have shot Simon there. Like, he should be, like, stealing a car and chasing Simon. Like, there's no reason for him to not do that. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Again, taking the bomb off the table was a bad idea, or at least maybe implying that there's another bomb or something. Right. And something else that's interesting, let's let's briefly talk about, like, the Michael Weston's decisions to kill or not kill people, because the pilot we spent some time on talking about how in, like, the very first scene when he beats up those guys in the bathroom, there are gunshots, and then Michael Weston leaves the bathroom, so we know he's killed them. That's, yeah. like, a well-established, like, immediate fact. But then from then on, Michael he Weston... Doesn't I don't think he ever directly kills anyone. Maybe he shoots someone who's like shooting at him, and it's like a a very much like a self defense like shoot kill or be killed yeah. sort of situation. But usually, Burn Notice manipulates other bad guys into killing no, each yeah, other. Yeah, because he's because he's Batman. But here's the thing. So I, I, if you'll remember, have been rewatching Bones. And one thing that I've always really appreciated about the way that they build out the characters in Bones is that um, David Boreanaz's character is a former, like, army sniper who's now an FBI agent. And he's, like, the kind of conservative traditional guy. Like, he's the cop of the group. But he hates killing people. And they make a point of every yeah. time Booth has to kill someone on the job, even if it is a kill or be killed sort of situation... Like, they take a moment, like, in one of the early season two or three episodes, uh, Dr. Brennan even says at the end of an episode, like, like they're having, like, this sort of, like, high-level, like, kind of decompression joke session where they're like, that was fucking crazy. I can't believe we just went through that. And then, like, they take a second, and Brennan goes, I'm sorry you had to kill someone tonight, Booth. I know how much you hate that. And they have this little moment where they, like, let him be a person and, like, actually reflect on the fact that these are people's lives that they're dealing with and that like you know being a crusader isn't just about like guns and fire and i killed the bad guy and everything's fine like it's it's more complicated than that and that's something that i think burn notice has never been able to successfully do which is one of the reasons why every time somebody comes into town and say to like say that michael weston has all these gray areas i is we find it really hard to connect with those because like michael weston doesn't have gray areas he doesn't kill people and they don't talk about it. Like he doesn't really talk about the, like the only time that they've ever really explored them is in that episode where Madeline makes a friend and then has to turn on her to make her an asset. But like, other than that, Michael Weston's own humanity isn't very frequently explored outside of the times where it's so explicitly explored that it might as well be just nothing. Like it might as well be about a different character because of how little context we have for that. And so like, that's definitely frustrating, especially when we get to points where they're like, we've got to kill these guys. And then they never do. And it, we're supposed to believe it's because Michael Weston's just too good of a person to do that. But like, that's not interesting. And it's also not really set up that way. Like, I wish they would talk about it. You make a good point. And like, again, once again, they try to do this thing of like, is Michael like this crazy guy? And that's the thing that they're doing with Madeline too. It's like, maybe he's bad or maybe they're the same, but like, they've never done the work to like make any of this feel like a character or whatever. Like he's just like a boy scout and like him killing those guys at the beginning just feels like early installment weirdness and not like mm -hmm. 
uh, anything else because like he is just Batman, which I guess is why they decided to give him a Joker. Uh, <laughs> but the problem is Batman actually wrestles with that and like finds other ways. But Michael Weston is definitely like brutal. He he constantly sets people up to kill each other so that his hands are clean and like. They never really reflect on that. Like, no, they don't. It's, it's treated like, well, he's a bad guy, so he does deserve to die. And they think that his, like Michael Weston's hands are clean as long as he's not the one doing the killing. But, like, he it's, is. Yeah, it, it's kind of like how a lot of times on Doctor Who, they'll make a point of being like, the Doctor doesn't like guns. But then, like, people will just die and, like, doctor will, the doctor will engineer deaths of people and it's, like, fine because they didn't use a gun. And it's, like, really, like, fetishizing one specific aspect of, like, morality. But, like, not the actual actions themselves, but, like, some sort of, like, thing that they can displace the morality onto. Like, guns are bad. Or, like, yep. you know. That's exactly. a great point. Which, to be very clear, I'm very pro-gun control. Guns are pets. Yes. Yeah, um, in case again, that hasn't been clear. Um, yeah, if you want to email us about that too, don't. Trying to shed listeners. This podcast is specifically a burn notice podcast for like trans anarchists. <laughs> you know, the primary audience of burn notice. Exactly. Back at Madeline's, the FBI guy knows about the hotel bomb because it did go off, just not like it's bad. And he is sure that Michael is involved and he is involved. So give him that. But like... He's sure that Michael did it. And there's this really shouty scene where he says, like, her son is a killer and she needs to understand that. And, like, at which point he reminds the audience that he was in that first scene at the beginning. And he's just mad that Michael shot at him, even though Michael really consciously avoided trying to hit him. Like, in a way that seems obvious, unless you're a moron. And which Madeline points out, like, it seems like maybe she's having a crisis of faith with Michael. But when he says, like, he tried to shoot me, Madeline's like, no, if he tried to shoot you, you would be dead. I yeah. Like, I know Michael. And, like, that's kind of her, like, rallying point. Um, but, yeah, again, this guy is awful and dumb, and I hate him. Um, yeah. And, but I love and, Ma- Like, Madeline absolutely kills it in every scene of oh this Oh, my episode. God, yes. Madeline, no, like, Sharon great. Glass is delivering the performance of her fucking life, and she's doing so good. And, like, it's so... It was, you know, I am a person who doesn't... <laughs> I, I have a hard time concentrating on anything. I'm, I'm very scattered. I need to be doing, like, five things at once. We've discussed this. But, like, there, like, there have been moments in the past two episodes where particularly the two women... Um, Fiona and uh, and Madeline, they will have a scene where I can't look away. Like me, a person who is constantly doing eight things at once, all I'm doing is watching the stream because their performances are that gripping. Yes. That's and, like, been really rewarding. Really great moment where he, and again, he's terrible, is like, <laughs> like yelling at her to like not pay for her son's mistakes and like, why is she doing this? And she says that it's because uh, he paid for hers. <sighs> Which so fucking deep. It fucking cuts. It is. It does. And it's like, and it feels like so much of a heavier and more realistic, like, explanation in dealing with the history of abuse and, like, her feelings of culpability with it and all of that stuff than, like, the show is done. And, like, it was really I smart also... of them to call it back up in the first scene at the beginning to 
Like, Agreed. just kind of like, remember. And then like, yeah. And something else that's interesting and that I actually think I kind of enjoy, and if this show was better, I would have more faith in. I like that both of them are dealing with this and how it relates to each other separately. Like they're both pretty open talking about it with other people, but they still haven't really gotten to a place where they can talk about it with each other. Because even to like in into season three, Michael will say something and Madeline will like kind of try to, you know. Yeah. De, like, you know, de-escalate or be like, oh, it wasn't that bad or like things like that. But when they're talking to other people, they're both like this. It was we were living in a nightmare. But together, yeah. like they still haven't figured out how to talk, talk to each other about it. And I'm very curious, especially now that we're like fully in pl- parts of the show that like I if I did watch them, I don't remember fucking at all. I'm very curious to see how their relationship continues to be explored, especially now that she's sort of one of the bros. No, me too. I agree. Um, so yeah, at this point, the FBI gets pissed off, and so he has Madeline arrested. And then we have this kind of thing that's not the episode's fault exactly, um, but just like an artifact of it being on streaming services, wherein Matt, like Madeline and this guy, this really intense scene, and like he arrests her, and she's getting like handcuffed and like this really serious music is playing and then it like fades cuts out for commercial and it fades back in and like happy salsa music is playing yeah um, and it, it just feels tonally weird and like again it's not necessarily the episode's fault because there was clearly supposed to be an ad in between those two scenes right so it's uh, not quite such a jarring transition exactly because it's not meant to be a transition but like it feels weird Anyway, so the happy salsa music is playing because uh, Michael, Sam, and Fee are on the roof uh, across the street from the government building, and they're scouting the government building, which never gets a name. And Fee says again, well, now that the bomb is gone, they should just shoot him. And Michael's like, yeah. And Sam is even like, oh, that's, that's where we are now. Shit. Okay. Like, this is actually a thing that we're doing. But then he also says that he's got to meet management. He's going to go meet management right now while they wait for... Um, wait for six o'clock and that like he's gonna let management do it because again he still can't get his hands dirty for some reason he knows that management will kill him and so he's fine with that he he believes that he should die but also he's gonna let management do it and so he's going to go and meet management right now while they while they bide their time until six o'clock for the assignment meeting michael goes and meets frazier's dad at the only helipad in miami which I didn't yeah. spend a lot of time researching, but there's no way that that's true. I Googled there's, ones there, and it seemed like there were several. Yeah. And, and also, I, I do appreciate, though, that it's a return of our favorite burn notice trope that we haven't noticed anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Presumably, this is the same building that also <laughs> does foil embossing. Yeah. The, the like, one place in Miami that does foil embossing, the one place in Miami that does high like class forgeries of... Um, yeah. Of ID cards, the one person in Miami who sells this kind of drug. <laughs> the thing is that like with some of those it makes sense. But like it's like a really niche there, thing. But yeah, there's definitely exactly. more helipads. Because like a lot of there's hospitals have helipads. helicopter pads. Like exactly. a lot of hospitals it have might helicopter be that pads. It's the only helipad that the organization has access to. It's the only Or it's the only helipad. one in that part of the city. Or it's something. I don't know. But like the way that they say it. Is very convenient and like it. Yeah. 
it's the almost like they thing. tried to do too many things in one episode and yeah. all of it is sloppy. Anyway, Fraser's dad arrives and tells them that they've already found Simon's team. Um, and it's fine. They found Simon's team and it's just like a bunch of local guys, a bunch of fucking local layabouts and whatever. And then Michael figures out that that team was actually a decoy and that obviously Simon is going to hit management there, which like, duh, obviously. Yeah. Why would he take them to a secondary location? Of course they're doing it there. Exactly. Like everyone in this scene is taking stupid pills. Like there's no way that he was not going to hit them there. Like what the fuck? But like it has to be a thing where they realize it the last second because uh, Simon is the Joker. Simon Escher, fuck them. But yeah, so once they figure this out on cue, the helicopter that management was on blows up. Yep. Michael and Fraser's dad are knocked on their asses, and then Simon shows up in a security uniform with a gun and almost shoots Michael. But like he gloats for too long, and so Michael uh, stabs him with his trusty butterfly knife that Sam gave him at the beginning of the episode. Uh, payoffs. So he stabs him in the leg, and then uh, Michael abandons Fraser's dad, which I understand. Yeah, and I mean, fuck Fraser's like, dad. Like, I think Michael's position dad. for this whole thing has been like, if management and this dude end up being dead, that's fine. They're all yeah. bad people that I hate. Anyway, so he jumps off the roof onto like a lower ledge, um, in a way that seems like he should have broken something, and, and he, he reacts he certainly, like he's broken. Yeah. But yeah, he is not. But he seems to have not broken anything. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, or at least Simon, nothing too bad. Nothing too bad. Meanwhile, Simon puts a gun behind Fraser's dad's back and then pretends to just be another security guard when the rest of the guards show up. He's like, "Oh no, there was a thing that blew up. Uh, here, let's go." And everyone, everyone just buys it. Everyone's like, "That's fine. You look different. Aren't you Garrett Dillahunt?" <laughs> is that Dean But it's Kane? fine. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, so, and then Michael, on that ledge, jumps off that ledge by going, like, I guess, like, an exterior, like, garbage recycling chute. It, like... It's straight it, down. It's not even tape. It's not like it no. goes, like, out. It's a straight down chute. He, like, he jumps off a building, basically. I don't know if, like, <laughs> he's doing, like, the thing where, if, like, because he's in the tube, he can, like, kind of... Push his hands on on the yeah, side like to like slow, slow his himself. descent, a la Fabian Aramea Seacaster on exactly. Leviathan. <laughs> yeah, it could have been that, um, but it's unclear, and that would that would hurt like hell. Yeah, but then so with jumping off a building, so but he goes through it. I don't know if there's construction going on because that would make more sense, um, or if this is because like, but he falls into a convenient dumpster full of cardboard at which point he definitely should have broken something but he seems fine so like he falls through he immediately meets up with sam and fee and then conveniently sees Sam simon putting fraser's dad into an ambulance this all happens in like 15 seconds yeah it's uh, a lot and, and also something that i was noticing like to to speak to the 18 broken bones michael weston for sure has um is Something that I was thinking about during this episode was, I don't know if it was, I was talking to you specifically or with you and our friend Andrew, but I remember when Daredevil on Netflix first came out, something that we all talked about at one point was the fact that we really liked that not only were the fight scenes really like visceral and realistic, but that when um, Daredevil got hurt, he had to fight differently. <laughs> and I feel uh-huh. like and it just, it. I know that that's not a unique observation of like, you know, 
action adventure yeah. shows on television where it frequently injuries mean nothing, but like it feels like they mean less than nothing specifically for Michael Weston, but more than nothing for Fiona. <laughs> Cause anytime Fiona gets like breathed on bad, she's out for like an episode and a half and it's like got her arm in a, sl- or like Nate, he's got his whole fucking arm in a <laughs> cast, but Michael Weston yeah. can break every bone in his fucking body and fight like and nothing like, is fine. wrong. Yeah. And it's like, anyway, there's a so... level to which maybe we just need to let Michael Weston be hurt. Right. Yeah, which at this point, so he tells uh, Sam and Fee, like, I got to go follow this guy. And Fee's like, but we do stuff together now. We're, you're not Lone Wolf anymore. And he's like, I got to be Lone Wolf this time. And they're like, all right. Because, uh, <laughs> like, every season finale, they got to have a little moment where they have an emotional beat before he goes away forever. Uh, Michael steals like a truck and then there's a car chase where like Simon is trying to escape Michael while also like tending to his leg wound that Michael gave him and it's short and ends with Michael ramming the ambulance like t-boning it which again seems like it should really injure Michael like and he, he crawls out of, he like crawls out of the car like ah, I'm in so much pain like Everything is broken. But then he, like, gets in a wrestling match with Simon where he literally, like, runs up the wall of the ambulance and, like, flips over. He does a, he does a run and flip while, like, holding Simon and wrestling him. Like, while having every bone in his body being just broken. That has to be. Yeah, it's, um, it's truly crazy. Anyway, while they're wrestling, he gets Simon's gun and he's going to shoot Simon. But then Fraser's dad comes out and he's like, don't shoot him. Your future will be way worse for you if you do it. You'll have a big future, but you can't shoot him. Especially because, like, the FBI are coming. If they see you shoot him, like, there's nothing we can do, basically. But he's like, oh, I should shoot him, though. But then the FBI shows up and the FBI is like, don't shoot that guy or we will blow your head off. Which, again, ugh. My whole body doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Which, at which point, though, they're probably going to send Garrett Dillahunt back to his box or wherever he lives. So, right, because like, presumably less... he escaped from management. Yeah. Although he the, which is confusing. I mean, I guess they have a lot of power, but like, the, if you'll remember, <laughs> like eight episodes ago, the way we we learned about Garrett Dillahunt because. Uh, What's his, Gilroy wanted a bunch of flight records and M- Sam found out which flight record it was because uh, all other flights that day had been like rerouted to be further away to give it like a wide berth, which frankly doesn't make sense. Like, what are they going to do in the sky if flights are slightly closer to it? But whatever. Um, but like the the management, apparently, if he is with management, has enough power that they can reroute other flights for the day to keep them away from it. Yeah. No, yeah. Management has power. Like, Simon will go wherever management wants him to go. Just like Michael will. Mm-hmm. The FBI arrives, and Simon's like, you should shoot me. And then when he decides not to shoot him, like, Simon laughs and says that management owns him now. And eventually, Michael will be just like him. It's and almost like the-, the exact same fucking conversation he has with Victor. It's like literally the same conversation and also he might as well be like hanging from a rope on the side of a building like the joker does anyway both of them like get taken by the fbi and then later we uh see madeline 
in an FBI interrogation room. Um, which I get that they, I guess they wanted to make a moment out of Madeline getting arrested, but like, it's kind of curious. Maybe they just didn't have the interrogation room for a day. It seems kind of weird once they have an interrogation room, why Madeline is being interrogated in her house. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that they were hoping that Michael would come to them. And then when that's not clear, they're trying to scare her. I mean, into... no, I get that from like, a, like maybe like an internal logic perspective, but like from a story perspective, like a lot of the Madeline FBI guy scenes might play better if they were in an interrogation room. You know? Right. Um, just because, like, you know, seeing Madeline in that, like, context feels really real. And, like, their last scene is in an interrogation room. And, like, it would feel like it feels weird to see them in the interrogation room because they've spent most of the episode in her, like, apartment. And I, I want them to have spent, like, it feels weird to see them end their arc in a different place than they've spent it the entire time. You know? And, like, yeah. I kind of just, I would want to see her, like, it just makes sense to me to want to see her in that interrogation room more. But maybe they just only had it for, like, a day. I like how much we speculate about the reasons that decisions are made. It's just production problems. Like, it, like it's just, I mean, like, a low-budget indie. You no, know, yeah, because, like, I, I've read enough about, like, TV production and I've done uh, enough of my own, like, productions to know that, like, a lot of the times a choice is made because of like production concerns mm-hmm. and like whenever you talk to someone about, well, why did you guys do this? It's always like, well, this fell through and we had to, we had to fucking rush and yada, yada, yada. And this was the only thing we could do. And like a lot of times when you're making something, especially if you're on a low budget or you don't have a lot of time, the thing that you get is it almost feels like the product that you salvaged, you know? I mean, that's true. We it's have just, a lot of it. Right. My point is, it's just funny to think about it because, like, they're a show that hundreds of people worked on. Um, having It's just, it's funny how hundreds of people can work on a show, millions of dollars can be poured in a show, and it still runs into the same things that you yeah. and I run into when there's six people in a single room. <laughs> and it's just, it always comes back to writers are too big for our britches, and we always make things too complicated for ourselves. We really do. Anyway, so they're in an interrogation room. Madeline's in there. And uh, FBI guy comes in and says that he's off the case now uh, because uh, some real big higher-up guys swoop, swooped in and took Michael to some other government rendition place or whatever. And that, like, she'll probably never see Michael again. He's so angry about it. Like, he's so angry about Michael. And he's so, like, angry at Madeline. And, like... He walks in, it seems like, just to be mean to Madeline, to really dig in. Like, and he walks in and he's like, you're never going to see your son again. He's in a hole somewhere. And, like, Madeline gets pissed and, like, slaps him. He, like, she, like, starts trying to beat the shit out of him. (laughs) I mean, finally. Yeah. Somebody needed to fucking take this dude down a notch. And, like... He like literally like tries to beat the shit out of him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, nothing, you, like nothing you can do. He's gone now." Incidentally, 
the Dark Knight also has a really famous interrogation room scene. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, I think they watched the Dark Knight and was like, I want some of that. Uh, <laughs> Give me some of that heat. I mean, again, like, it was what? Like, fall, like, late summer of 2008. And, like, they're, like, definitely prepping season three in the middle of, two, like, in, like, late 2008, early 2009. That's true, yeah, because season, season three took place uh like fall and fall of 2009 and then early early winter of 2010 exactly i'm telling you like it was fresh on everyone's minds mm. anyway um so madeline has this scene where she's like what's happening to michael michael's gone and like he's like yeah michael's gone he's gone for good nothing you can do about it old lady like he's so upset and she's so upset, but that makes sense. And all of this is intercut with this like long sequence of like Michael with a bag over his head. Um, but we know it's Michael because he's still wearing that nice shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good shirt. It look, it fits him well. It, it looks shirt. nice on him. He's in this like dark, dank facility that's like clearly supposed to be like a maximum security prison to like mm-hmm. really like feed into the idea that like the FBI guy is right and Michael's just like gone now and Michael's which is interesting is. because management seems like they like it's weird that they're trying to set us up to think that this is a thing because management clearly thinks that Michael is on their side Michael rescues yeah. management so like it's confusing that we are meant to believe even for a second that like Michael is about to go the way of Garrett Dillahunt because right. there's no, no reason makes- why management should be mad at him yeah, no, there isn't. Like, yeah, no, it makes no sense. And so it's not, like, that much of a surprise when he's brought into a room and they pull the, like, bag off his head and it's just, like, a study. Or, like, a I mean, den. I like this reveal. Like, if it had made sense, it would have been a fun reveal because it is fun. Like, the fir- for the first time, like, season one ends with Michael driving into that semi-truck in the middle of, like, a very long bridge over some water, which was a really cool shot that we talked about. Season two yeah. ends with Michael jumping out jumping of a helicopter. Um, and then this time, it's he's like, we're like, oh, God, he's going to prison. And then he's just, like, in this very nice room. And it's like, where's the room? And, like, that's fun. It's, like, a fun. They're, that is they're fun. good they at moments. They are good at this. Ma- yeah, Matt Nix has good moments. I just feel like he struggles so much with, like, the details because he's just, like, he's so high level that he never comes down to earth enough yeah. to really dig into, like, the details. And it's I interesting because Spycraft is all like... about details. And exactly. he's good Every, at that. Every like, season finale, though, up to this point, I have remembered. Like, the interesting final shots, all of these final shots, I remembered. Like, they stick with you. Like, you know, I'd have forgotten about it. Like, I'd forget about it up until, like, the point that I watch it. Like, I think the only one that I, like, could have consciously recalled before talking about, like, watching Burn Notice again was the the car going into the, like... um, The truck. Into the truck. semi-truck. But, like, I remember him. Like, when I saw... Um, him jump out of the pl- the helicopter. I was like, I remember that too, very vividly. And I think I remember like seeing him in that fucking study. Like, oh, what's that about? So they're very good at this. They, yeah, and, they're like, they're good at the moments. It's just they can't. Con- they're good at the A, B, and C, but they're bad at getting to each thing. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to our B and C, which is spy tips. Yes. 
All right, so I, um, I've got five spy tips here. Oh wow! And you've you've actually curated the list this week. Yeah, sometimes I do curate the list. Sometimes I forget, but sometimes I do, and it's just that I have a looser definition because I always want to like, I'm never sure on a lot of these. Whereas I curated here, I got five here. One of them I don't think is a thing, maybe. So we're going to see. All right. Let's do it. First one. Commuter parking lots are great for fugitives. You can get some sleep while your pursuers lose momentum to exhaustion and shift changes. It's also a one-stop shopping for a new phone or dry clothes. I didn't even know commuter parking lots were a thing. So that's definitely useful. But like once you say it, it's like, oh, that makes sense. I understand that. Two. Spies love places that people tend to avoid. Sewage plants, toxic dumps, condemned motels, all places you can put emergency supplies and not worry about uh, whether they'll be there when you need them. How do you feel? Uh, Yeah, I think this is useful. All right. Like, I like it when they give me a list of specific places. Again, it's always good to have a list. Yes. All right. Three. When a trained team is advancing on your position, sneaking away is usually impossible. Your best bet is to give them something else to worry about. And hmm. this wasn't even the one where I was like, this is nothing. But like now that I read it, I'm like, is it anything? I, what, what was this attached to? What was the other thing to he worry was, about? When he was making the bomb because the police were outside and he throws the bomb out. As opposed oh, to just yeah, I liked that. Up. I thought that was nice because, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, I mean, but it's also like create a diversion so you can sneak in and out of a place is sort of like kind of a no shit rule. But it's also I kind like of that like, sequence. Um, it's more a tip about when to create a diversion and when to sneak out. Like, yeah, I guess I'll allow it. I also, it's, it's reminding me now that last season finale ended with Madeline's house getting blown up. This season finale right. ends with Michael's loft getting blown out. And I do like that. Well, to be fair, his loft doesn't get blown up. Like, he throws the bomb outside, outside of his Well, loft. but it, it shatters a, wind, a couple of windows. Yeah. Um, like, I, there's definitely I'm sure damage. if Madeline were here, she would be like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> I'm just saying destruction of personal property to get away from cops is a tried and true burn notice thing that I like yeah. a lot. You know what? I'm going to allow it. I was pretty All hard right. on this episode, so <laughs> he can have this one. All right. So liquid nitrogen isn't available at the corner store, but it's a standard part of bomb, of bomb makers workshop. It's also useful for diffusing explosives. On a well-made bomb, you can forget about cutting wires. Any decent bomb maker will make sure the important wires are impossible to reach. Freeze the detonator, though, and you can usually remove it safely. Of course, usually is not a word you want to hear when you're working with explosives. I mean, until the last bit where it contradicts itself, which is a thing that happens a lot in burn notice by tips I've noticed, uh, that was useful. Yeah, here's one that's like probably nothing, but who knows? There's no trick to getting down off a building quickly. Gravity will take care of that for you. The challenge is getting down without breaking your neck. If he had and given us anything for this, I would have said yes. Like, if he had and said like, the thing that you and I discussed, like, are you breaking your fall with this, like, thing? How can you find locations that, like, the tube thing is more likely to be there? Like, if he had given us any details whatsoever, sure, I would allow it. But I can't in good conscience pass this as a practical spy tip. 
I cannot either. So Do you want to not die? Episode, Don't die. <laughs> yeah, any sort of, like, he doesn't even explain what the thing is. And like, no, he doesn't. I'm kind of fuzzy on what it is. For all I know, it's a commuter parking lot. There's like two separate tips that are just like, sometimes spies got to work with people that they don't like. Yeah. Yeah. That's nothing. That's only four. That's four mm-hmm. spy tips. Yikes. All right. So it fails on spy tips. Let's see if it passes on the rest. Um, does it pass for spycraft or violence? Hmm. I mean, does it? Does it? I mean, they don't kill anyone. They do but also, threaten. Yeah, they threaten. Like, all they really do that's, like, Michael basically just follows G- Dillahunt around while Sam and Fee spend, like, two scenes getting a bomb disarmed. And then Michael yeah. just continues to follow Garrett Dillahunt around violently gets in between him and management tries to kill him and then gets arrested i don't think there's any particular spy craft even the spy craft that we see like the the best tips are related um, like kind of unrelated to him yeah and like the most spy thing that he does is like makes a bomb like he goes to his loft Mm -hmm. it's like no it's yeah it's like he they're on the defensive again this week but in an uninteresting way. Like last week, I would yes. I would say, especially since we considered it a great episode of television, uh, that the defensiveness of the burn notice team was really interesting because like they were they were they had very little information, but they they acted on what they had. In this episode, it just seemed like he they just sort of followed a crazy person around for a while, and then everything blew up. Like Here's they were the defensive thing. in a passive way. Yeah, I feel like burn notice finales, even when we like them. Which I think we liked the season two finale. Yeah, um, I think it was it was fine. We had wished that um, that Victor had been better integrated, but we generally liked what they did with Victor. My thing, it, but in general, it seems like that the finales tend to be have the main cast be very passive. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like they cram all of the plot that they can in, so there's no character whatsoever. And like. Yeah, they're always just kind of plot just happens to to them. It does. It always just kind of happens to them because yeah, like they've saved all of this stuff for the one episode, and so they just kind of kind of sit back and let all of this plot just happen. It's weird, and so like at best, they're never like great episodes of television because like our characters aren't doing anything. Like Michael, like usually makes one or two choices the entire episode but it's usually always, should i kill should i kill this person i don't know why i put on an accent for that because garrett dillahunt ha- kind of has an accent i assume a little bit um love texas chris but i also think that it's a problem of like because you know it's a big bad spy show and they got to make things exciting so the viewers come back the next season every season finale is like a pilot episode for the next season and like pilot episodes are hard on characters because there's so much like exposition you have to set up that you generally are just like, this is who this person is. Now they're going to, a lot of stuff is going to happen. So you're excited enough to keep watching. Like that's what yeah. each season finale feels like is like they, they, they go overboard into making us excited about next season without really like 
wrapping up and paying off what happened this season. Like they're they're not living in the moment, is my thing. No, they're not. I agree. Um. So, what does that mean for Spycraft? No, right? Yeah, I don't I think mean, so. I I mean they they don't do that much violence either, but like, I mean they, they do don't... defuse a bomb. Yeah, but that's that's Sam and Fee, and that's barely Spycraft. Like a bomb squad could do that. Like there's nothing yeah. inherently spy-ish about that. You're right. No, yeah, fuck it. No. So this is already not a great episode of Burn Notice, but let's mm-hmm. Which is and... the first season finale to not be a great episode of Burn Notice. Exactly. There's, there's no, no alias, alias this... so that's nothing. Fee and or Sam. Fee, and Sam. Used... Fee like, had a good episode. What did they episode. even do? Yeah, Fee had a good episode last episode, but not this no, one. No, no. I mean, like, it. I think she had some fun stuff because she, like, got, she threatened the biker, like, that's in the one, shot. That's one scene. And then, like, that next scene where they had, like, Keith, she gets to be, like, really badass in that scene. Yeah, but that all um, happened in, like, the first like quarter of the episode and then she doesn't really do I mean, like, her and like Sam about, don't really like, do anything for the most of the back half. I mean that's fair. I could be like and yeah Sam didn't Sam didn't do anything. Yeah. Sam doesn't do Sam shit. Sam gives Michael a butterfly knife. <laughs> for all at the beginning that they make a point of being like, we're doing things as a team now, like nothing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter and at all. So yeah, none. Like literally you get none of them. Mm-mm. Is that is that a first? Uh, not, no, the, the episode that Rashad Razani wrote in mid-season where Michael hits V also got a zero out of four. It's definitely a first for Matt Nix. But yeah, so it's definitely not a great episode of Burn Notice, and it, it's not a great episode of television. No, it's definitely not. Like, I've, I've already done my tallying for the season, um, because I knew exactly what our conclusion of this episode was going to be. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so what is our tally? Looking back on the season. So let's look back on the season, season three. <laughs> well, first of all, it's been a very interesting season to record. We started about like a week and a half before quarantine set in. Most of the, all of the season after the first two episodes has been officially recorded while both of us are sheltering in place. And since then, uh, the world has truly exploded. So, I mean, we'll see what the world looks like in exactly. two months when this episode Our goes world. out. but. The recording has been slightly. Yeah. Um, I came out to you in the middle of us recording this season. You did. You came out to me. I got engaged. We like, (laughs) we, Um, a lot of things are, this has been a big season, but in terms of burn notice specifically, uh, this season out of 16 total episodes, 13 were episodes of television. Nothing more, nothing less. Four were great episodes of television and 11 were great episodes of Burn Notice. Now, this is compared to uh, 12 episodes last season being... Oh, wait, no. So the, so the one thing that is confusing is this. Uh, this is that we still have a... Um, the Craig O'Neill episode, we still have not yeah, made an official determination of. Yeah, so the jury's out. So there are either 13 episodes of television and uh, or there are five great episodes of television. Yeah. Hang on. It's it's I feel like you're you the keep math saying is things wrong. and they're not. Yeah. There are either th- I think it's either 3 episode 3 great episodes of television to 13 episodes of television or it's 12 episodes of television 
to four. To four great episodes. Great episodes of television. So it's unclear right now. Um, And so if you guys are curious how we are going to decide on that, uh, actually, at the time of recording this episode, the contentious episode goes up tomorrow. That means a scheduled email and tweet are going out to our friend Joe Heath from the um, Burn Notice Notice podcast to tell him to watch the episode first and then listen to our podcast episode. And in our um, new standard mid between seasons bonus episode with the burn notice notice crew we will officially determine with joe helping us break the tie whether or not that episode is a great episode of television or not so um i here's stop by for that in a couple of weeks is that he will agree with you i have a feeling he will Um, too not necessarily because i'm wrong (laughs) but because we value different things out of media than you do yeah and b he doesn't really like Burn Notice that much. That's probably so fair. I don't think he is more willing to be charitable to it in the way that I have become over the course of this season. Yeah, anyway. I mean, but in any case, um, definitely check out our bonus episode with them that'll be coming out probably in a couple of weeks to hear the the ending of that. But um, there is no contention about the fact that there are only 11 great episodes of Burn Notice, which is fewer than season two, which had the same number of episodes, but had 13 great episodes of Burn Notice. Yeah. So fewer great episodes of Burn Notice this season. Let's see. And none of those correspond with great episodes of television. So the the hypothesis still hasn't been proven that to be a great episode of television, it can't also be a great episode of Burn Notice. They, there seems to be no correlation between those two things. Interesting. Uh, at least not so far. There has not been a single great episode of television by our tally that has not been a great episode of Burn Notice. Gotcha. They are always together, at least so far. That's true. Although I will say we were kind of charitable the last weeks in terms of being a great episode of Burn Notice. I mean, you, uh, well, we weren't, we weren't that charitable because the, the Fiona stuff was so good. And the, I, I don't think you think we're being more charitable because you didn't like one of the spy tips, but like, I, I, like I feel, spy tips, I feel so like... pretty so I, I feel like, 100% certain that it was a great episode of Burton Notice. Like, right. I'm. Then, yeah. I, I, I have no either or there. Cool. For whatever What's the that's final worth. yogurt tally? Final yogurt tally is 19. There were 19 yogurts on camera this season, as far as we can tell. If we missed one, please let us know. Because um, we got a little laxer about seeing them, but I think it also might be, la- we might be laxer because, like, there were fewer on camera. Yeah. Uh, the most, the last episode of Burn Notice season three with a yogurt sighting is the Ben Watkins episode 12. Wow. Which, yeah. incidentally, was not a great episode of Burn Notice, apparently. Mm. So that's oh interesting. Goodness. So in terms of looking ahead to season four, this episode is coming out in the at the end of July. So you probably won't see more episodes from us until August, uh, like late August, early September at the earliest. Not including bonus episodes will go up in between. That's what I was just about to say. Gotcha. We are getting better about scheduling bonus episode recordings. If you have cool ideas for um, bonus episodes, please send them our way. Anything related to the cast and crew of Burn Notice or the show Burn Notice is fair game. Um, but we'll have some some fun bonus episodes coming your way. Yeah, we have some, probably two or we three. We have some stuff planned, but yeah, we've got some got stuff ideas. planned. But if you have ideas, yeah, please send them our way, and we'll we'll schedule them in. But you'll be hearing from us two, maybe two or three times. But um, season four will probably not start until uh, at the earliest September. 
Um, So take a break. Take care of yourselves. Uh, But in terms of season four, the only thing that I know about season four is that Jesse appears. And he appears in the first episode because I checked today. I was like, okay, it's the end of season three. Jesse has to come in at some point, like early, because like we know how big of a deal he is later on. I know I have seen through season five of Burn Notice, but I don't remember Jesse at all. Here's the thing. If I remember correctly, Jesse started out as an antagonist. I do that. I do remember because he's like, I think he's a government guy. I think he is a spy who like, I don't know. I can't. I I know he was a spy and is sort of an antagonist to them. And then very quickly is kind of adopted into the fold. Exactly. I'm curious to rewatch it and kind of remember exactly what Jesse's purpose is on the show. So that was what I was going to kind of touch on. And also, do we need to update our What Makes a Great Burn Notice episode? Because if Jesse is now officially going to be a third support character, do we need to add something to our rubric that mentions Jesse? Here's what I think. I think that's something that we will spend season four trying to figure out. Got it. So season four, things may be changing to our, our rubric I think, system. Like, exactly, because... I'm also curious how Jesse sets himself apart, which is sort of what you just said. But like, you know, we have some very specific archetypes for what each character sort of does. Like the fact that we can boil down what makes a great fee and or Sam episode like is very clear and defined in our heads. Um, So I'm curious, yeah, what Jesse will bring. And I'm also curious now that we're going so deep into like (laughs) the minute by minute replay of Bird Notice, how we will respond to Jesse. Because I don't actually have any predictions about whether or not I will like Jesse. There are definitely shows that I've watched. Yeah, because like I'm, as I mentioned many times, I'm rewatching Bones right now. And I forgot that it takes until season three for the character of Dr. Sweets to be introduced. And like not even the first episode, I don't think. So like I, and I love Dr. Sweets. He's such a big part of the show to me, but I forgot that he's not even in the show for the first two seasons. So it'll be interesting now having kind of reintroduced myself to Burn Notice exclusively with just the main core three, how I will feel in this rewatch. Like if I will come to love Jesse. In like a similar way, like talking about another another David Boreanaz show, like so many of the characters that I think of as essential to Angel appear so gradually. Like yeah, Cordelia is not. I mean, Cordelia is a little bit into it, but yeah, Fred doesn't show up until like what season three, two. Yeah, like the end of season two. She's in the season two finale. Yeah, fucking Wesley takes like half a season. Lauren takes a season. Gun takes the season. It's, it's interesting to see that when you go back and you're like, oh yeah, this is the time before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm anyway. excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because like it, at the beginning of season three, you made a pre- prediction that Burn Notice had peaked. And I don't think that the season lived up to that. It definitely, you know, didn't pass with flying colors past the previous seasons. But like I... Yeah, how enjoyed do you feel about a lot of season, a lot of episodes. This season, season three like, versus season two. So I think that season two, season three didn't have quite as high of highs as season two, but I think that overall it was more consistent. We also this season saw saw our favorite Matt uh, Nix and Alfredo Barrios Jr. episodes of all time. Mm-hmm, so even the writers that we are less sure of are getting a, a little bit in our minds more consistent. Uh, although. This season finale may not be a good mark of that. Uh, Rashad Razani got his first great episode of television marking. Jason Tracy got his first uh, 
almost got his first solo great episode of television. Uh, Craig O'Neill remains to be seen um, if he'll get two or just the one. Um, Yeah. We had our least favorite Michael Horowitz episode, which was interesting. That was a journey. Just on every that level. That was a journey. So um, like, we also this had is... another Michael Horowitz episode that we absolutely adored. <laughs> and might be my personal favorite. You you think that the uh, the episode where the guy adopts a dog is better than Bad Breaks? I think Bad Breaks is much more well-constructed. And that's what I appreciate about it. episode of Burn Notice. Sure. Um, I just, I love all the warm, fuzzy feelings that that episode gave me. Yeah, season three, episode four, episode four was definitely at a high level. But yeah, so this episode, this season has been interesting. Like overall, even the episodes that I didn't like, I enjoyed watching. Like even the stupid season finale, like it was fun. You know, a lot of stuff was happening, and like season finales are hard for this show. We've d- d- discussed that at length this episode. But like, I liked season three. I had a good time. It's I I don't think I have huge. I, don't think, I will say that like. I think that the show suffered because it didn't fulfill on that thing that it was setting up. Like, the, yes, I it agree. Felt like a much more messy season. It than definitely messy. Two even did. It was a messy um, fucking season. There was like a couple of episodes this season where we were like, "What the fuck is happening?" Like, sh- some truly wild shit was tried. This is this feels like a very experimental season, which made it feel fun. Because like there were yes. they were throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, but like as a looking at it holistically as a season from like a storytelling perspective, uh, it fails a little bit. But like there are yeah. moments in a lot of these episodes that are like really really good for character, for storylines that hadn't been paid off well before, for just like bits. I mean, Mister Snaps alone exactly. just made this season. Oh no, this like it's it actually does kind of make me excited. Because it does feel like they're learning from mistakes. Because, like, it seemed like season two, they realized at the end of it that, like, we couldn't stretch Carla and Victor or whatever over a whole season. Yeah. So, like, this time they were like, let's have some smaller arcs. That also didn't work. Nope. But, like, it seems like they're noticing things that they haven't gotten right yet. So it could be that, like, the best season of Burn Notice is still ahead of us. And I and I'm looking forward to specifically to season four because like I know for a fact that something is changing. We're being introduced to a new main cast member. And like that's exciting because it means that I'm not worried that we're gonna get more of the same because inherently we can't because they're introducing an entirely new element to the story that is guaranteed that like, and that is guaranteed to continue on. So like they are invested in him. Like it's not just like, oh, there's a new person for a couple of episodes that we like kind of fall in love with like Diego this season. Like I love Diego. I forgot that he died and I was very sad that he did. But like, I know for a fact that Jesse is gonna be in burn notice for the rest of the show and so i know that the show is invested in making us invested in him and i'm excited to see that like it's i'm excited that it's gonna be new and fresh and so i'm looking forward to season four in a way that i haven't been in this way for a little while that's good that's true I feel like season fours on television shows tend to be a little bit awkward. Well, and and Um, like it does, it is funny because like usually shows, like the shows that you and I watch, it's like high school is the first three seasons and then they go to college and it's like, what's happening with this show? And it kind of does feel like that. It does a little bit. But like, uh, I feel like a lot of shows like that tend to have like a a real high peak in season three. That's true. And this, this, Um, I don't feel like Burn Notice has peaked. 
in any particular no. way. Whether it's that's just never going to peak remains to be seen. But I definitely don't feel like the best of this show yeah. is behind it. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea. I am curious to find out. I am too, because um, we're now officially like getting into truly uncharted waters. I think with that, there's uh, nothing left to say, but thank you to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And with that, there's nothing left but for this season to say bye. Bye.